sermon outline on pages 10 through 12 this morning in your bulletin. We're making our way down to the cross and down to Jerusalem, and Jesus is speaking ever more often about that event. In this passage today, we find the third prediction of his death and resurrection. And we come to the central, one of the central verses of the whole Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is another high point in the Gospel, another clear, clear teaching about it. But he does it within the context of two groups of people who respond to it. First of all, the little children, beginning in verse 13, as we'll read in a moment. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in verse 35 and following, as we'll read in a moment. Jesus is speaking about what he came to do, and people are responding to him. Let's hear God's word together, beginning in verse 13 of Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And here is inserted the story of the rich young ruler, and we'll get to that next week. But then he moves on in, I think, a very much connected section, beginning in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Thank you for your word, O Lord. Help us to see it and to understand it and to make it our own. Work it into the fabric of our lives. Change our thinking. Change our actions to reflect the truth of the scriptures. How we struggle here. We have been taught but to apply is the work of the Holy Spirit. O Holy Spirit, come and make these things true to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In this passage again today, we hear echoes of what we've been seeing since the very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. That the Lord has come to bring a new kingdom, not a kingdom that was expected on the part of the Messiah, but a kingdom that would be in many ways upside down. It would be very, very different. So much so that the Son of God, who is the King of Kings, would be coming not to be served like most kings are all day long, every day, but to serve and to give, to offer his life for us as a ransom for our sins. There have been contrasting reactions. Many of the crowds, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, have been mightily disappointed. They expected a king who would come and rule over the Romans and rule over the entire region, if possible, and be a Messiah who set up a kingdom that was great and powerful and awesome and impressive. Instead, they got a little baby in Bethlehem. They got a man who was alone, who had no army, who showed, who manifested power, yes, but always for just the helping of others, not to bring to himself the political acclaim that they hoped he would bring. He continues to teach that my kingdom is not like the world's kingdom. And I am reaching for something that's very different. So I hope as a result of our time together this morning, you will begin to see again and again how deeply and how strongly Jesus feels about this. First of all, let's review briefly what he came to do. Surely we haven't missed this, but we should get it again clearly. The Son of Man came to give his life, not just to die. Many have died for a noble cause. Many have given their lives in the service of their country or in other ways. But Jesus came to give his life as a payment for our sin. He was not only uh, on the cross offering that life, but he was offering it all the days of his life as he faithfully kept the law of God. How could he be the Messiah if he died a shameful and premature death? Because his kingdom is not the same as the world. He is a unique king. All the other kings of the earth have other agendas. He has this agenda, that he would give his life for us. The disciples are then changed from running to hide to going to tell, but they're not there yet. It takes a while. Just remember when he healed the man who was blind and it was in two stages. He could see people like trees walking around. This is a gradual process of comprehending one of the great divides of history, his kingdom and everything else. His values and virtues and his his morality and his laws and all other cultures and laws and values and moralities. His defeat became his victory. Remember, he was utterly forsaken. He was completely abandoned. He was all alone. And there was nothing noble about his death. It was shameful. The people spat upon him. They beat him. They mocked him. He had no dignity. They stripped him naked. They did every kind of indignity they could think of to do to him. This was no noble death. But he gave it his life. He gave us the the benefits of his death. That's what he came to do. We cannot miss verse 45. It is one of the, by all the commentators, acknowledged to be 
one of the clearest statements in the whole of Scripture as to why he came. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And not just to serve in some general way, but to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his clear purpose. And the popularity and the criticisms were not going to dissuade him from that purpose. He pursued it relentlessly. But then the question comes, as he answers in this section, how do we become connected to this story? It is an historical fact that this occurred. But how does it mean something to me? How do I become involved in the application of these things? It's not enough to know that he died, but also why he died. Has this changed your life? Of course, the the ransom will have to do with redemption and forgiveness on the day of judgment. But how about your life today? Has it fundamentally changed your life? Or are you still the same person in the way you think and act? Would your spouse or your friends or your childhood friends, would they see any difference in you? And what kind of difference should there be? Well, we have this marvelous passage here where Jesus, beginning in verse 13, calls the children to himself. People were bringing their little children to Jesus. For him, they they wanted the blessing of this rabbi. The disciples said, you're bothering him. He doesn't fool with children. He's come to bring change. We're not sure what kind of change yet, but the children are an annoyance. They're in the way. Certainly they're in our way. They're probably in his way. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He wasn't just mildly irritated. He was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What does this mean? Does it mean that you, have to be, you, you can't be a member of the kingdom of God if you reach the age of five? No, it's talking about something else, of childlikeness. And I say in the outline, these things. You have to become like a little child. You have to be changed on the inside. A fundamental truth runs through all of the scriptures. If you'll turn with me to the cover of the bulletin today, I'd like to read to you now this extended quote from Edmund Clowney. There are great stories in the Bible, but it is possible to know Bible stories and yet miss the Bible story. The Bible has a storyline. It traces an unfolding drama. The story follows the history of Israel, but it does not begin there, nor does it contain what you would expect in a national history. If we forget the storyline, we cut the heart out of the Bible. Sunday school stories are then told as tamer versions of the Sunday comics, where Samson substitutes for Superman, and David becomes a Hebrew version of Jack the Giant Killer. No, David is not a brave little boy who isn't afraid of the big bad giant. He is the Lord's anointed. God chose David as a king after his own heart in order to prepare the way for David's great son, our deliverer, and our champion. And that champion is our redeemer. And this story of his runs all through the scriptures. We see it again and again. David faces Goliath. 
dependent upon the Lord and the Lord's grace. Joseph, the former mocker of his brothers, now greets them, having been changed in the land of Egypt and having come, become now, in a sense, like a little child before his brothers. Before, he was lording it over them, as the Gentiles do, as Jesus said to James and John. But now he's serving them, even though they are in his hands in the land of Egypt. When Jesus says, let us, the little children come to me, what he's saying is that you and I have to be what we don't want to be, what everything in our being fights against. We have to be dependent. It's just on the surface of it that a child is vulnerable cannot really defend itself, hardly even against other children. And so to be like a child is to be helpless. And as the child grows, it begins to feel how helpless it is in a world of adults. To be childlike is to give up relying on myself and to be dependent on the one who holds me in his arms. To be like a child means I am not negotiating. I'm vulnerable. And I'm saying, Lord, use me. Take me. Work in my life. The Bible says in Paul's writings that he has chosen the weak things of this world. That's what he's saying. He also said to the Philippians, I came to you in weakness. Jesus, for all of his power, appeared very nondescript and weak as he walked the streets of Palestine. He's teaching us that it is a good thing to be dependent and, and relying upon the Lord, not negotiating with him, but vulnerable to whatever he would want for us. Now, a child expects to be accepted, and is confident of love. A child is valued even at its crankiest. And so are the children of God. When we come before him, he accepts us. He adopts us into his family. He receives us into the number of those who are called his children. And he builds us up. We never have to wonder whether we belong. We never have to ask whether he truly is loving toward us. This is the testimony of the scriptures. And all of the many promises and, and affirmations of God's love are given to drive down into us the vulnerability and the helplessness that he wants to use. In this world, you can expect to not be accepted. In this world, you cannot be confident of love. And in this world, you will not be valued at your worst. You'll be incarcerated or more. But in the kingdom of God, there is acceptance, love, and value. He says further that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, not consists of these, not because of any merit of theirs, but because God has willed to give it to them. The kingdom of God belongs to the children, not because they earned it or because they acquired it, but because he gave it to them. And so our status 
as adopted children into the family of God is something that is entirely of him. It's completely from him to us. And that marvelous work changes us. And so to be spiritually childlike is a good thing. By contrast, James and John look foolish. They have self-confidence. And it betrays the fact that they have not been listening. Notice verse 39. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answer. We got it. We can do that. You want us to do that? We'll do it. Did they? Just a few weeks later, did they? They were filled with self-confidence. A child is filled with vulnerability and dependence. The self-confidence of James and John makes them look foolish. They're not listening. They're no doubt thinking that their sufferings and his are not, not his. They are no doubt thinking of their sufferings, not his, seeking their honor. They don't want to suffer now. They want to be honored now. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 37. What do you understand in the word suffered? This has to do with Jesus. That all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, he bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. All the time that he lived on earth. James and John couldn't do it for a few minutes. When Jesus was opposed publicly and viciously, they ran. Now they had just said that they could bear this bitter cup and they could rise up under the weight of persecution and even death. But they couldn't. And they look foolish as a result. To affirm that you can do something and not be able to do it just a short time later is silly. It doesn't bring honor to us. Even if the gospel, even if they did grasp some of what he meant, they were likely thinking of a heroic and a glorious death and not a shameful one. He maybe, you know, people do die for causes. And he may, they may have thought, well, yes, we'll go to the death. And Peter said he would. But this was shameful. No man died a more ignominious death than Jesus, as we've said. So Jesus is calling for radical submission to him and to his people. Not just good manners. The servant belongs to the congregation. The congregation does not belong to him. They wanted the place of power and privilege. They want to have with Jesus the privilege of saying, all of this is mine, and all of this I will rule over, one at the right hand and one at the left. And Jesus says, no, you belong to the congregation. They don't belong to you. You're a part of them. They're not a part of you. 
The servant belongs to the congregation. Worldly ideas of greatness, as I say, of rank and privilege, are out of order in the new Israel because they're inconsistent with the mission of the Son of Man. So this is fundamentally important. What do little children do? They come to you and they listen to your voice. What do sheep do? They come before the shepherd and they hear his voice. And the fundamental skill in the kingdom of God is to be able to listen. But James and John obviously haven't been listening because they think they can do it. We can, they say. We've got it. Jesus responds by saying, no, you can't. And then he says clearly in verse 43, having said in verse 42, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with you. Don't act like that. That's unacceptable. He was indignant with the disciples who were trying to pull the children away from him, and he is indignant with James and John here saying, not so with you. You do not act like that. Not in this family. Not in this kingdom. It is unacceptable for you to lord it over others. It is unacceptable for you to stand upon rank and privilege and to think about these things of high and mighty nature when I, your king, have shown you how to act and my actions are those of service, submission, humility. And so in a sense he's saying you're acting outside of the code of ethics of the family. You're disgracing the family. My family, my kingdom acts like this. We listen. We don't speak. We listen more than we talk. We serve more than we complain and desire others to serve us. We give more than we receive. That's how we act. That's, how it's li- that's what it's like to be in this family, in this kingdom. Not so with you. You can't act the other ways. It's not permitted. I want teachable, vulnerable, helpless, seeking children. That's what I want. Now, I recognize that the world doesn't care about those things. In fact, the world wants you to appear strong, capable, efficient, not vulnerable, protected, thought of everything. But I want you to be willing to listen and serve. So what does it mean practically? It means that we don't listen to what the world says. We're good at not listening. Let's not listen to that. If we're going to ignore something, let's ignore all that nonsense. The James and Johns who want to trample and rise and rule and reign. Say, that's not how it is. Now, there's many who will argue with you, but whose word are you going to take? Under the application now, page 12, if you are too self-congratulatory or too self-denigrating, you are not childlike yet. 
You're like James and John who think that you can be on the right and left in the new kingdom. You don't get it. Shouldn't even be asking that question. It's inappurtenant. It's inappropriate. It's also inappropriate to be too self-denigrating. You are valuable. And you may be only like a little child. You may be vulnerable and helpless. You may be weak while the world seems strong, but you're his child. You have his protection. You have his care. And he invites you to come as a child. So David, the least of the sons of Jesse, is the one whom the Lord anoints and raises up to be the champion over the giant Goliath. Because David is willing to serve, to listen, to go, to be vulnerable before the giant. Everyone else drew back. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, comes forward. Secondly, to receive the kingdom as a little child is to allow oneself to be given it because one knows one cannot claim it as one's right or attempt to earn it. Children love to receive gifts and they seem delightful and sparkling to them. They have no concept of earning them until they get much older and when we get older we think, well, gifts are great but I'll have to give you one now. Right? I'm going to have to think of something to give you because you just gave me one. And we think of gifts in terms of something that is earned. But the kingdom of God is given. The kingdom of God, he says, belongs to them. I'm giving this kingdom to them, to such as these. To someone who is willing to be helpless. Someone who is willing to pray. Someone who is willing to give. Someone who is willing to go. That's what I'm looking for. And I will give my kingdom to those people. To those who will become like little children. Weak and vulnerable. We need to see why he's died. To set us free from the kingdoms of this world. Which happens when you see the need to grow in self-denial and service. He died so that we would get this. He didn't die just so that on the judgment day we might be forgiven and go to heaven forevermore. That's part of it. That's eternal life. But he also did it so that we might be changed and transformed into his image. He wants followers who are true disciples, who are willing to listen and come after him and do as he says. This is fundamentally important and so, so life-changing. The little bit I've perceived of it has really helped me. I'm I'm eager to learn more. And that's another quality of God's children. They're learners. James and John, implicit in their request is the fact that, you know, we've got it. We think we can handle it. If you put us on one side and the other of you, we think we can rule with you and we can take on any problem. But a child knows it has to learn and to grow if it is going to progress, if it's going to live, if it's going to survive and thrive. And the Christian knows that they have to grow. Are you a humble student? 
of the Father. Are you eager to open his word and learn, though you've read it before? Are you desirous of being dependent upon his teaching you and learning his ways? That's what children do. They learn and they grow. They come before the Lord and he embraces them and he says, I will protect you. And so as we come back to his statement in verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, used to, at the end of his, many of his sermons, would close with this statement, and I put it here. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. That's the redemption of Christ. Go and learn what it means. We know that it means forgiveness of sin and redemption from death and bondage. But do we know that it means that we must become like little children? Listening, learning, growing. Does it mean that we should be hunger and thirst after righteousness? Or does it mean, I've got it. I can tell you the gospel message. I can tell you the Roman road, the verses of Romans and John 3.16. I know the way, the truth, and the life. I've got it. James and John were fools because they thought they understood and they didn't get it at all. May the Lord help us, really help us to have our eyes opened our hearts humbled so that we would pray, so that we would serve and give and that we would learn and grow and not just say, I've got it. I can take it. I can handle it. And not so that we would lord it over others. For Jesus said, not so with you. Not so with you. Let us pray. Lord, we want to be on top. We want to give orders. We want to call the shots. We want to be the boss of our own lives and of many others. Teach us to be like little children. Teach us to be helpless in prayer, fervent in service, eager to learn, desirous of your voice and your teaching. Humble us and make us like little children who are saying, yes, Lord, what do you want of me? How can I serve you? And rid us of this pride and this foolish arrogance which says, I've got it. I understand it. If they would only listen to me, if they would only do what I say, if they would only be like me, oh, Lord Jesus Deliver us from such as James and John. For they are in us. Their attitude is very strong in us too. And we thank you for exposing us again this morning to the raw truth of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen.